Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Well, good morning, Christ Community Chapel. I'm so glad you're here with me, whether you're watching in the West service or over in our East service or watching online. Thanks for being here, especially if you're here in person. This was a nasty day to get out in, so thank you very much. Thank you for braving the elements. If you're watching online, thanks for braving the living room. I'm just glad that everybody is here uh, with us, ready to continue our vision series we're dealing with in January. You know, every January, Pastor Joe leads us by setting out kind of a vision for the year. What are we wanting to see happen in and through our church this year? And this year, he's been really clear with us, and that, that vision is that by the end of 2022, we would be closer to God and look more like Jesus. Now, for some of us, that means beginning a relationship with God through Jesus. For others, growing deeper. But I hope you're not missing the plural language there, that the vision this year isn't that you would get be closer to God and more like Jesus, or that I would be closer to God and more like Jesus, but rather that we would be. That together, collectively, that we would grow together. We're trying to reinforce that in a lot of ways, not the least of which is we're all wearing name tags. So if you're new, by the way, if you're new and this is your first ever Sunday, you amaze me. Because <laughs> you had every reason to put it off to next week. But we don't wear the name tags all the time. That's a special emphasis in January. We're reinforcing the idea that it is not Jesus in me. It's Jesus in we. It's Jesus in us. It's a team sport. We want to grow together. And to get there in 2022, Pastor Joe has been laying out a vision for us. We call it CCC and three. Just a strategy for us to grow together. CCC, gather weekly for worship. You're doing that now, check that one off. Last week we looked at and one, which is that every person here would find a place to serve. That together we'd become more like Jesus by becoming a servant, just like him. This week we're looking at and two, which is simply put, that we would live in community. That we would live in community. That's what I'm going to be talking with you about this weekend. In fact, if you have a Bible, would you pull it out and open it to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17? That's a passage we just heard read so beautifully. If you have your phone, it's totally okay to pull that out and fire it up to Google Colossians 3 or open the Bible app and get there. And as you're doing that, uh, let me inform you, I'm going to do something a little different this week, and that is I'm kind of going to give you my big idea up front, just a simple sentence, this is what I want to teach you this weekend, and then I'm going to give you the outline that I hope to do that by, okay? So if you're a note taker, 
you'll want to get this sentence down. This is what I'm aiming at. Here's what I want to teach you that biblical community is. Okay, what is Christian community? Here's a definition. Christian community is the experience of God through relationships with other people. Okay, Christian community is the experience of God through relationships with other people. That's what I want to show you from Colossians 3. Now, to do that, I have three points I'm going to use as an outline. Write these down or just have them in your mind as we move through our time together. Three points, and they go like this. I want to describe Christian community. I want to tell you where it comes from, and then I want to tell you why it's so important. Okay, I want to describe it. I want to tell you where it comes from, and then I want to tell you why it's so important. All right, let me start with the first one. Let me describe it. I want you to notice that here in Colossians 3, our passage begins with a list. A list that describes the kind of community we are meant to enjoy in our local church. The kind of community we're meant to have as Christians with each other. You can see the list in verse 12. It reads just like this, very simple. It is supposed to be a community that is compassionate, a community of kindness, a community of humility, a community of meekness and patience. That is what it's supposed to be. Now, I don't know if you're like me. The danger when you're reading the Bible or any book and they list like that is to just kind of gloss over the list. Just kind of let it wash over you as a whole. Yeah, yeah, I get it. We're supposed to be nice, right? But I want to slow down for a minute and unpack for you what these words actually mean so that we don't miss the beauty of the kind of community that's being described here. So let's just start with compassion. What is compassion? Here's a simple definition. Compassion is seeing someone who is suffering and feeling for them enough to do something about it. Very simple. To have compassion for someone is to see someone who's suffering and not just say, oh, bless their hearts, I feel bad for them, I wish there was something I could do, right? But it's to see someone who is struggling, someone who's suffering, and to say, if there's anything I can do, I want to do that. By the way, you'll notice there's a logic to these descriptors. So compassion is seeing someone who's suffering and wanting to do something about it. Kindness is the actual thing you do about it. Hey, I noticed you're struggling. I noticed you're suffering. So, so I've brought this. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to help in this way. Here's some kindness I want to show you. And you probably know this experientially, but kindness always carries with it humility. Because whatever we do for a person who's struggling always requires us giving up something that might have rightfully been ours. Our money, our time, our expertise, our convenience. That, hey, I noticed you were suffering. I noticed you were struggling. It mattered to me. I wanted to do something. I came up with something kind to do, and I'm willing to pay the price to do it. Meekness is saying, and I don't want anything for it. I don't want any recognition. I don't want any praise. This is about you and your suffering and your struggle. This is just me wanting to help. I, I, I don't need recognition. I don't need notoriety. Patience is saying, and I'm not just here with a casserole. I'm here for as long as it takes. Do you get a glimpse of the kind of beautiful community that's being described here? The kind of community where hurting people 
are not just felt sorry for, but, but you have the community saying, what can we do, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, we don't want anything for it, and we're not going anywhere. What a beautiful, beautiful kind of community. And I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that, that seems nice. doesn't seem like anything that I've experienced, and I, I get that. So it doesn't seem like our larger world. Like, this is not a description for Facebook. I hit a little too close to home. Wow. This is not a description of your cable news program. This is not a description of the podcast you listen to or the, you guys have next door in your neighborhood. It is definitely not a description of what goes on in that online forum that your neighbors get on to complain about you. This is not that, but this is what Christian community is supposed to be. Now, it gets even more beautiful. I want to drive this home for you. It gets even more beautiful. It's supposed to be this for real, difficult people. Because here, Here's what I want you to understand. Because when I read this description, compassion, meat, kindness, there are some people that, that this is easy for me to do with, like my children. I mean, I'm not perfect, okay? But in general, if my five-year-old comes to me and he's devastated, my, my toy is broken and it doesn't work, I don't look at him and say, get a life. I don't look at him and say, ask your mom. Well, okay, sometimes I do do that, but I don't, I say it nicely, right? I look at him and I have compassion. His problem is my problem. I respond to him in kindness. He's my family. He's my son. They're my kids. She's my wife. I, they're my friends. Like there's a certain group of people for whom doing community this way makes sense. Most of you have friends that I would call two in the morning friends. They could call you at two in the morning and, and say, I need you. And you would say, I'm there for you. You have this kind of community with a certain chosen curated, selected people. But that's not what's being described here. How do I know that? Well, look at what he says immediately after this sweet, wonderful list. This is why it's great if you have your Bible. Look with your Bible at verse 13. Look at what he says. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Do you hear what he says? Right after the nice list, he goes, oh yeah, by the way, by the way, you're going to have to put up with each other, and there's going to have to be a lot of forgiveness. You see, what he's describing here is a community where there's compassion and meekness and kindness and humility and patience, but everyone in the community is broken and real and authentic and has their own problems. These are not easy people to show compassion to. These are not easy people to be patient with. These are broken people. These are real people. This is not the fake version of yourself. This is the version of yourself who other people are going to have to bear with who are going to have to show forgiveness. This is us in our real, authentic, difficult, troubled, broken selves receiving compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. And I'll show you how it's even cooler. Look at what he says, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. He has in mind that the roles will switch. That this is the kind of community where one week you're the forgiver and the next week you're the one being forgiven. One week you are the one helping out. The next week you are the one receiving help. This is not upper class people, you know, motivating themselves to every now and then help the lower class. This is upper class and lower class changing every week, every day, every hour. It's that kind of community. Well, I'll show you what I mean by this. When... 
You know, when I do premarital counseling, I often tell couples that marriage is two families colliding. You know what I mean? Two ways of doing something. Like you grew up with one way of doing something and she grew up with another way of doing something and you're going to kind of collide into each other until you figure out what's our way of doing something. I, I can show you this in a silly kind of way is when I remember going registering uh, for things with my fiance who is now my wife, which is really just uh, I, she pointed to something and I scanned it. <laughs> I thought we were going to choose things together. That's a lie. If you're engaged, that's a lie. Okay, that's not going to happen. And, and we got to the appliance section and I went to scan a toaster. And she was like, what are you doing? I say, well, we've been dating for a while, but you may not know this about me. I sometimes like toast, <laughs> especially on sandwiches or in the morning. It's really delightful. So I would like to get a toaster. And she said, no, 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 we're not doing a toaster. We're doing a toaster oven. And I said, what is a toaster oven? And she said, it's like a little oven. I was like, do we have a bigger oven? <laughs> yes. Seems like we're good in the oven department. I'm gonna need toast. He said, well, you can toast your toast in this. I said, I won't need to because I will have a toaster. And you guessed it, on my counter at home is a toaster oven. <laughs> See, I came from a toaster family and she came from a toaster oven family and we became together a toaster oven family. But there are other ways that are not so funny that our families collided. Like in my family, when you had a problem with someone, you never talked about it. You just swallowed it and became bitter. That's not a joke, really. That's what you do. And you just, you just kind of silently, secretly have problems with each other until you grow distant. In Amy's family, you talk about it nonstop until the other person surrenders. It's like Guantanamo Bay. You just keep talking. And so as we started having like a meaningful relationship, she would, you know, she would do something to offend me, which is not hard to do, unfortunately. And she would say, I'm sorry. And I would say, it's fine, fine, fine. Which in my family meant, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I just want to secretly hate you. <laughs> and then she would say, okay, uh, do you forgive me? Because that's what her family said. I'm like, whoa, hold on. See, if someone says they're sorry and you say it's fine, you haven't given up any power, right? But if they say, do you forgive me? And you say, yes, I have come to learn. That means you can't bring it up later, <laughs> right? So she would say, do you forgive me? And I'd be like, fine. And I hated it, but I loved it when I was the one who had offended her. I'm sorry. It's okay. Do you forgive me? Yes. Man, that feels good. That's what he has in mind here. A community where who is giving compassion and who's receiving? Who is, who is being meek and who's receiving? Who is being patient and who's receiving? Who is being born with? Who is being forgiven? Is changing minute by minute, hour by hour, because we're changing, our circumstances are changing. But the kind of community he's describing is loving and caring and giving to difficult, real people all the time. Now listen, I understand. I understand you're saying, well, where does that exist? And I haven't experienced that. And I understand. But let me let you in on something. The community you're looking for, I'm just telling you, you're not going to find it on social media. You're not going to find it on your favorite news program. You're not going to find it on the golf course. You're not going to find it in the bowling alley. You're not going to find it in the barber shop. You're not going to find it at book club. You're not going to find it. You know why? Because this is really hard. 
So that leads me to my second question. Where does it come from? Because I know you're saying, well, I've been to a lot of churches, Zach, and not a lot of them look like this. And touche. I totally admit that. I agree with that. So that begs the question, how do we get there? How do we become this kind of compassionate, merciful, kind, patient, forgiving, real, authentic, difficult, messy people all the time? How do we go from forgiving to being forgiven to, to showing mercy and receiving mercy? How do we become that kind of people? It is tempting to think that the answer is we do something. Because look at verse 12. Look at what he says. Put on then. And you go, oh, there you go. It sounds a lot like put on your big boy pants. Put on your big girl pants. Wake up in the morning and go, show compassion, show compassion, show compassion. Be patient, be patient, be patient. Forgive, forgive. Put it on the bathroom mirror. Make some index cards, right? Have an accountability partner. They text you 10 minutes on the hour. Have you been compassionate today? No, I'm sorry, right? That's what it seems like. But that is not what it is. Here's why Christian community can give us the beautiful community we're looking for. It does not come from us. It comes from God. In fact, if you're like me and you read the list found here in verse 12, you think that doesn't describe me at all. In fact, if you're looking for me, you'll find me in chapter 3, verse 5. Look at this list. Chapter 3, verse 5 says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Okay, there I am. There's where I am in Colossians. So how do I go from that to this list? Well, look at what he says in verse 12. This is why you got to slow down sometimes when you read the Bible. Because you'll blow by a phrase that'll change your life if you understand it. Look at what he says in verse 12. Put on then, and then he says this. Before he tells you what to put on, look at what he tells you. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Do you know what that phrase, holy and beloved, means? Well, you know what the beloved means, right? It means God loves you, right? God loves you. You're beloved by God. But what does the holy mean? That's one of the words in church we use all the time that we don't mean. Like we're singing holy, 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 and our 10-year-old says, what's this mean? And we go... Shut up, don't talk in church. It means one thing when it's talking about God, but it means another thing when it's talking about us. And here's what it means when it's talking about us. To be holy is to be acceptable before God. In other words, to be lovable by God. To be holy means that when God looks at me, he doesn't just love me like, oh, shucks, poor Zach. You know, I just feel so bad for him. I love him. No, no, no. To be holy is that when God looks at me, he finds me lovable. So really what Paul is saying is put on then as the ones God has chosen to find lovable and to actually love. Well, here's my question. How do I go from Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, the description of me that is so awful and yet so right, how do I go from that to being actually lovable to God? Well, that's the whole story of the Bible, isn't it? The whole story of the Bible is God on a mission to make me lovable. God on a mission through his son, Jesus Christ, to make me lovable in order that he can love me. In fact, here's one way of telling the Bible. See if you can pick up what I'm doing. God looks from heaven into the brokenness of our world, into the sinfulness and wickedness of my heart and yours, of our world, and he takes compassion on us. 
seeing us in our suffering and in our struggling and feeling for us, but not just feeling for us, not, not sitting in heaven going, oh, bless their hearts, too bad, but actually saying, I want to do something about it. And out of that compassion, God in his kindness sends his son, Jesus Christ, who leaves heaven to come to earth, who humbles himself and becomes a servant, a man who lives and dies in my place meekly, never demanding the glory that is his, never saying, I want the honor I deserve, humbly, meekly going to the cross, patiently suffering under God's judgment in my place, dying and raising from the dead in order that I might have peace and harmony between God and I, that I might be forgiven and that I might enjoy God's love. Do you see how I just told the story? I only use the description of the Christian community in Colossians 3. You see, the source of Christian community is the experience of the way God loves us. It isn't something we do, it's something we receive. It's not something we become, it's something we, we experience. It's not something we do, it's something that is done for us in Christ. We know compassion is world-shaking and life-changing because it was the compassion of God that changed us. We know that humility has the power to change lives because it was the humility and the meekness of the Son of God that changed ours. We know that patience is necessary for loving and changing sinners because it is the patience of God that keeps us moving. Do you see what I'm saying? We don't, we don't Bible study our way into this. We don't accountability partner our way into this. We receive it. We experience it freely from God himself. In fact, let me say this. One of the things I love so many things about this church, one of the things I love is so many of you love to study the Bible. I mean, you love it. I love that about you. I mean, there are so many Bible studies here, and they're awesome. And they're taught by amazing, amazing teachers. And I hope you check all of them out. But one concern I have that has nothing to do, by the way, with the studies or the teachers, they're great. One concern I have is that we might develop, without even realizing it, this idea that what makes you a mature Christian is passing a theology test. As though we're going to die and stand before God and God is going to say, hey, before I let you in or before I, I, th I throw a hug around you, I'm going to need you to diagram the New Testament for me. You know, I, I see this in my kids all the time. They come home, they're going to study for a test. They got these vocab words. And I worry, by the way, I love teachers, love teachers. My mom's a third grade teacher. Shout out to the teachers. This has nothing to do with you. But my kids are studying these vocab words and they're going, you know, and I'm quizzing them and they're giving me the exact answer from the back of the index card. And, and then I say, hey, could you use that word in a sentence? And they go, oh, that's not going to be on the test. <laughs> and I say, well, I mean, the point is to learn how to use the word, not to pass a test. Do you see what I mean? 
The whole point of studying the Bible is to be gripped by God's compassion for you. The whole point of learning theology is to see God's overwhelming kindness to you, to appreciate and celebrate the humility and meekness of Christ, the patience of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness that is yours in God. The measure of how much you understand is how loved you feel. not the grade you would get on a theology exam. Paul says this beautiful community that we all want, even in our mess, even in our brokenness, that we would be surrounded by people who see us struggling, who wanna help us, who are kind to help us, who are humble and meek and patient and forgiving, that community is on the other end of experiencing that kind of love from God in Christ. That's why, listen to me, if you're coming, you're not a Christian, You'll come and you'll come and you'll come and you'll come and you'll be around it and you'll, you'll, you'll feel some of it, but you'll never really get it until you open yourself up to the fact that God loves you and has proven that in Christ. Christianity before it is anything is an experience of God's compassion, God's kindness, God's humility, God's meekness, God's patience, God's love, God's peace, God's harmony. By the way, you see that in the passage. Let me show you. Look, look at what he says. He gives you the list, which he starts by saying, remember, you are lovable to God. You are loved by God. And then look at what he says. Verse 13, bear with one another, forgive one another. Look at what he says. Why? As the Lord has forgiven you. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's as though if Christian community was a wood-burning oven or wood-burning stove, the wood itself is our understanding of God's love for us. He's saying, burn it. Burn it. Burn it. That leads me to my third point, which is to help you understand why this is so important. One of the things Pastor Joe has been saying in this series that I love, and it's one of the things that makes him Pastor Joe, is trying to help you and I understand that programs, the church doesn't exist for you to join programs or ministries or studies or, or events. We're not perpetuating. We don't get commission from those things. That's not a win for us. Those things exist so that you and I might grow closer to God and become more like Jesus. When I push you in a minute to get involved in community, it's not because I want my community numbers to go up in my pastoral portfolio. It's because I want you to not miss what God has for you. And there are two things you get from community that I'm just not sure, listen to me, please hear me, I'm just not sure you're going to get from anywhere else. So if you're not in community, you just miss them. Here's the first one. The understanding of God's love that we have, it leaks. It leaks. Do you remember when you first became a Christian? Man, I was so obnoxious. I was like, a theological flamethrower worked by a guy who had no idea how to work a flamethrower. I was willing to talk to anyone and probably made everyone more confused than they were when we started. I was just so excited. I just couldn't wait to talk about Jesus. So many of us can tell that story, right? Where does that go? It dissipates, doesn't it? 
It's as though God pours his love into the bucket of our hearts, but there's a hole at the bottom of the bucket. And it just kind of leaks. Life gets hard, circumstances get hard, things get thrown at us, right? Christian community is designed to fill that bucket perpetually at a faster rate than it leaks. Does that make sense to you? If you visualize God's love being poured into a bucket with a hole in the bottom of it and it's pouring out, Christian community is a bunch of people around you pouring God's love in so that it never runs dry. Not only so that it never runs dry, so the level stays high. And that rhymes. Look at that. Bars. But look at what he says here. Look at what he says. Look at what he says. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called in one body and be thankful. Now listen to what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You see what he says? Teach and preach and encourage and sing. Why? Because every song and every sermon and every lesson has this one central theme. You are lovable and loved to God and by God. And that leaks. That leaks. That's why we sing every Sunday. That's why we preach. That's why we teach. That's why we have studies. That's why we have programs. That's why we have events. Because we believe the heart of someone who deep down believes their love by God leads to an incredible, beautiful, compelling life. And the heart of someone who's forgotten or doesn't believe they're lovable or loved by God leads to a withering life. And that's what he says. Listen, if your bucket is dry, here's what I know about you. You are isolated and disconnected from community. I don't mean you don't play golf with other Christians or do social events with other Christians. I don't even mean that you're not in a small group. Maybe you are, but you don't have actual Christian community. Because when you do, what you'll find is your bucket of God's love is perpetually being filled up. But here's the second thing. Actually, the experience of God's love is in community. When, I, when my wife says to me, I'm sorry, and I say, it's fine. And she says, do you forgive me? And I say, no, I don't. Then she says, have you been forgiven? What's she saying to me? Zach, the anchor of our forgiveness for each other is Christ. She's reminding me. She's calling me back. Listen, this happened for me beautifully in one small group, one of the most holy moments of my entire life. I'm sitting in a small group, a bunch of guys in their late 20s, early 30s, some guys married, uh, most guys not. And one guy in the small group is, 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 is crying, and he's in more ways than one. He's moaning and groaning over the state of his life, and he says, I don't believe God loves me. And we all go, whoa, why? And he says, because I'm 30, I'm, I'm, I'm in my early 30s, I'm not married, I'm not dating anyone, all I've ever wanted is a family, and I don't have that, and if God loved me, he would give me that. And we're all sitting there like, what do you say to that? Until one guy who is in his mid-60s, African-American guy with Asperger's, retired public librarian, one, one of the greatest guys I've ever known, looks at this guy and he goes, hey, look at me, look at me. The guy looks at him and he goes, I'm 65. I'm retired. I have Asperger's. I'm never getting married. I'm never going to have a family. You don't think I wanted those things? 
But look at me. It's worth it. He loves you. Stick with him. You don't get that by YouTubing Tim Keller. You don't get that by buying a book from the Christian bookstore. Those kinds of holy moments, those kinds of moments where it's as though God himself is saying to you, here's what you need. You know what you need? Let's just fast forward 30 years to the life that you dread for yourself, which by the way, you don't even know if it's going to happen, but let's just say that's the life you're going to live. Let me give you the future version of you looking at you and telling you it's worth it. Hang in there. He loves you. Listen, there is part of God's love you don't get unless you're around God's people. Unless you sin in front of them and they forgive you. Unless you offend them and they show you mercy. Unless you open your heart to them and they show you kindness. And when you receive these things, you won't find yourself saying, what a great group of people. Because they and their meekness, they won't let you do that, does it? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. What a great God who loves us so deeply. That is the community that I'm calling you to. That happens a lot of ways here at our church, but it happens chiefly through our small groups, which we call circles. You're going to hear about this in a minute, but you can sign up today for a circle. You can find out more information about circles today. It's not about the program. I don't want you to miss these holy moments of experiencing God's love through relationship with other people. Let me pray for us. Father God, what a good God you are that you have because of your kindness and your, or your compassion and your kindness and your humility and your meekness and your patience and your love and your forgiveness, you have made us lovable and you love us in Jesus. What a great God you are. Might we grab a hold of that love in our hearts and in our minds, and in community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.